Hello, my beautiful beanies, and welcome to the Bean. It's the weekend edition. First with yesterday's news, I and Glenn ZB. Uh, we're looking back at both uh, Saturday and Sunday. Um, as I've just established just now, it's the weekend edition. That's why we're doing that. Uh, Jack Tane wants to have a word about presidents. Uh, Tom Walsh just keeps throwing further and further. Penny Ashton is touring with Charles Dickens. How's that? How does that work? Uh, and something called The Minimalists came in to talk to Jack Tame. Um, we'll see if we can figure out what that is. Uh, before anything else, of course, let's just stick the... Just really stick it to the Australians, basically, those cheating bastards. Should Steve Smith, Cameron Bancroft take the field tonight? Well, look, I, my view is that no one should. I think that um, in the light of what is already known, now understandably, uh, team punishments, individual punishments to be fair, have to be determined on the basis of evidence. And I suppose it will take some time to determine who was the leadership team that decided to this, who gave instructions to whom, and so on. But while all that's been determining, us Cricket Australia, in my view, should already have rung Cricket South Africa to say that we are making the decision. Uh, we are forfeiting the test. We don't think it's right and proper that our team should continue to compete, having already been identified and, and confessed to cheating. In the intervening period, therefore, we will determine who's responsible for this and disciplinary action will be taken and the series will resume with 2-1 to South Africa in the fourth test. Uh, you can't have the Australian team on the paddock tonight. And we will write you a cheque and we will remunerate you financially for the last couple of days coming up. Well, I'll go on about that. There's all this crap about, you know, TV rights and so on. Now, surely if the TV rights require, you know... A play to occur in each of these tests and so on, those responsible for TV coverage must recognise there's no point in broadcasting this stuff tonight. The brand is damaged. There is no credibility in a game that takes place tonight. None whatever. Anyone who's watching that's got to be a moron. So Australian broadcasting legend Alan Jones there. Um, I hope you didn't watch that because if you did, you were a moron. Should have been watching the, uh, the Black Caps anyway, probably. They seem to be going all right. Uh, right. Can't wait to keep sticking the boot into the Aussies over the next few days over that. Uh, Jack Tame wanted to talk about presidents Saturday morning. Yeah, the simmering subtext behind all of the protests and anger between the Trayvon Martin supporters and the George Zimmerman supporters was race. It was a racial issue. An African-American president was asked for his views. And without leaping in and saying, this is a hate crime, this is disgusting, and without saying, hang on, guys, this isn't simply a white versus black issue. The shooter was a Latino man. Maybe Trayvon Martin was being intimidating. Obama carefully considered his words and said this. He said, you know, if I had a son, he would look like Trayvon and I would want him to be safe. It was just a subtle little dance, a very carefully considered response. Contrast that with what Trump said when that neo-Nazi supporter ran over and killed a protester a few months ago. There was violence, said Trump, on many sides. On many sides. And some of those white supremacists are good people. Perhaps a less considered response. And maybe that is the best advice to come out of Barack Obama's big speech this week. I didn't go on Thursday, but I thought... There was a little bit of advice, a little sliver from Barack Obama's speech that we could all pick up on, all of us around the country. 
When asked about his famous oratory style, Obama replied simply, Yes, I do speak slowly, because I like to think before I speak. Interesting. I've never really thought of Jack as a slow talker, but now that he mentions it, uh, you know, I'm looking at the waveform here on this. There are big pauses in between what he says. See, I just go, uh, anyway, and stuff like that. That's, that's, that's much more annoying. And then I don't even say anything worth listening to. So, yeah, I'm a write-off. Uh, Tom Walsh. It doesn't really matter how he talks, it's how he throws that counts. Yeah, I did for sure, mate. Uh, look, training's been going really well, and I've, I've talked to you about it as well. A lot of people, things are just starting to really, really cook with gas. Um, and slowly but surely, you know, uh, every time I get, you know, get into the circle in competitions, I'm getting closer and closer to that freedom that I need to throw really far. And I managed to do uh, one of those, connect with one of those throws today. I had another two throws that weren't too bad either. Um, but I just missed them off the hand. So, uh, you know, the confidence is getting better. Uh, but the main thing is, mate, I still want more. I'm still not happy with this. Um, so, you know, expect, expect more from me over this year. Okay, what aspects were you happy of? What did you pick up when you threw 2267 when you said, you know what, I was still a millimetre out here? Yeah, I just I just feel like I didn't quite get through the shot put uh, as well as what I have done in the past. You know, the freedom was there. Um, but then also with the freedom, you need to really get through the ball at the finish. And I felt like I kind of just sat back a touch off it. Um, so, you know, mate, look, we're talking tiny, tiny things and only feeling-based things, things you won't even be able to see. So, you know, it's, it's good to know that I, uh, I I have something to work on uh, and I know that I can address it. Oh, of course, uh, he doesn't throw. I said he throws. That's how, it's, how he throws. He puts, doesn't he? Can you put other things other than just shots? Can you? Like... You know, do they ever, you know, in the cricket, instead of throwing it, do they ever put it? It's just it's just shot that gets put, isn't it? I never really thought about that, and now I wish that I hadn't. I'm starting to hurt my head. Uh, Penny Ashton is touring with Charles Dickens. How does that work? You're taking Olive Copperbottom around the country with Arts on Tour New Zealand. That's right. It's a great organisation run by Steve Thomas and Michelle out of Christchurch. He's been doing it for about 30 years. Yeah. And every year he tours 10 different tours all over the country. Um, so he sends out a prospectus and mm-hmm. people choose what show they want. Um, and then we go and do them. So I'm doing 34 dates from Kaitai to Invercargill. Holy heck. Yes, it's a long tour, but it's going to be great. And I, this is my fourth Arts One tour. So I've done it a lot. So I'm looking forward to getting back to the Geraldine Lodge Theatre and some new places like Waikaya, which I'd never even heard of, which is near Waikaya. Gore. Waikaya. Waikaya, which is near Gore. I know Rakaya, but not Waikaya. Yes, yeah. so I'm from Christchurch, so I know Rakaya. But yeah, I don't know if this has got a big jumping trout or something. But in Waikaya, it's a really cute little thing. I've looked it up online, the... Oh, the, oh, I should remember the name of it. But there are 34 venues, so there's yeah, quite a lodge. Yeah, I don't blame you for not... It's a lodge. I know that, of some description. A lot of, lot of um, you know, old Masonic lodges turned into theatres all over the country. And little um, Coronation Hall, like in I Bannockburn. I wonder what the Grand Wizards would think of that. I, probably not a lot, because I'm a lady, in doing the, lady things. Lodge. <laughs> I'll just get Alex to turn that music down. I don't think we need it under us, do we? No, I think we're just... I think we're done. We're thank done. you. Oh, thank you, Kerry. Done with the music. <laughs> um, excellent. Now, 
tell me about Olive Copperbottom. So what it is, it's a, um, for those of you who saw my previous show, which is called Promise and Promiscuity, which is a one-woman Jane Austen musical, yeah. this is a one-woman Charles Dickens musical. So this one's got a bit more characters that talk like this. Still got a couple that talk like this, but it's yeah. sort of, you know, got the Russian character Ivana B. Castellot. She's an actress. Mm. Um, and various different people. And it's in the style of a Dickens novel, but it's a brand new story. I do worry a bit that people are going to see something called Olive Copperbottom and they might think that they're going to buy some cool saucepans. Um, which just shows to, goes to show how uncultured and uh, what a Philistine I am. Uh, we're going to finish up here with The Minimalist, which is also something that I don't really know what it's about, but I can't wait to find out. Let's let's go back a few years. I hope you don't mind me saying your age now is 36? That is correct. 36? 37 this year, Whoa! man. I know, oh, dude. Yeah, yeah, That's what, I mean, I'm, I'm just calling myself 40 now to oh, get used to it. Yeah, I'm steamrolling toward middle age. <laughs> <laughs> so take me back to when you were 27 years old. Tell me about the lives you were living at 27. We, we were sort of living the American dream. Before then, we, we grew up really poor. We're from a town called Dayton, Ohio. It's the overdose capital of America. Mm. And there's a real crisis of meaning there. A lot of the jobs left. And so we grew up really poor. Uh, alcoholic parents, uh, food stamps, government assistance. And we thought the reason we were so unhappy growing up is we didn't have any money. And so Ryan and I have known each other since we were fat little fifth graders. Yeah. And... Um, by the time we graduated, I said, okay, let's, let's solve this problem of unhappiness, of discontent by going out and getting these corporate sales jobs and working 70 hours a week every mm. single week and climbing the corporate ladder. And so by age 27, we were living the American dream. Six-figure salaries, luxury cars, closets full of expensive clothes. The- yeah. You, you, had like the, you had that stuff? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. The big suburban house. Yeah, with more toilets than people. Oh, okay, <laughs> you so, know, and luxury cars. Like, what are we talking? about? Oh yeah, about? yeah, Lexuses. Like, well, what? what's the what's what's the plural of Lexus? I think I it's had... Lexus. It's not Lexi. It's you not? had two Lexi. Yeah, I did. Um, and here's the thing: I don't think there's anything inherently wrong with those things, but I was constantly chasing happiness, and yeah. that was really the problem. I, when we were young. We didn't have the resources, and so we thought that made us unhappy. Then getting the resources, becoming relatively rich in our mm. late 20s, it was like, oh, wait a minute. Like, this isn't bringing me happiness either. It's not fulfilling. Mm. No, there wasn't the joy, the contentment. I didn't feel like there was a sense of purpose or meaning in what I was okay, doing. Okay, but how did you reach that point? You know, after listening to that, I'm wondering if maybe I am a minimalist. Because really, I'm very satisfied as long as I have... Uh, the ability to melt cheese on things and to watch online television. That's really all I care about. If I've got that, that's all I need. And you guys, of course, I am Glenn ZB. Thanks for listening to News Talk ZB, the weekend edition. I'll be back with a normal old Tuesday one tomorrow.